Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 268 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Well, the summer nectar flow dries up and we switch our focus to getting the honey supers off the hives and back to base for extracting. Exciting times as we see what our bees have produced. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi everyone, podcast time once more. Exciting times this week. Hands up everyone taking some, if not all, of their summer honey crop off this weekend. I get goosebumps seeing the honey supers come off. Honestly, I do. And all the efforts that we and our bees have put in over the spring and summer rewarding us with a lovely crop of honey. It doesn't matter how much honey you've been able to encourage your bees to produce, every little drop is precious and worth taking good care of. If this is your first season of beekeeping and you've been rewarded with a box or two of honey, congratulations! There's nothing better than that first batch of honey that comes from your own bees. I can remember the very first time I had a crop of honey to extract. Honestly, I really can remember it as if it was yesterday. It was just a single super of honey, and I'd started beekeeping with a single colony, which soon became two, under advice, of course, from a far wiser beekeeper. Even though the colony was split, it still managed to give me a super of honey, and I was so excited to extract it. In those days, we lived in a small mid-terrace cottage near a town called Deerham here in Norfolk. We had a lovely large back garden, mostly laid to lawn, but there were a couple of fruit trees, a few flower beds, and we even had space to raise a couple of pigs. But that's another story. In those days, equipment requirements were let's say, not quite as demanding as they are today. In case anyone out there is wondering, no, you can't still use galvanised extraction equipment. It has to be food-grade plastic or stainless steel these days. I had a three-frame tangential extractor, a galvanised top strainer and a galvanised settling tank. The tangential extractors work differently to the radial extractors that we use now, The radial extractors hold the frame so that they sit pointing outwards from the middle, a bit like the spokes of a wheel, whereas the tangential extractors hold them so the flat face of the frame faces to the outside. These tangential extractors work by extracting the honey from one side of the frame, and then the frame is turned around and the inner side of the frame, full of honey, is also extracted. Now here comes a word of caution to anyone who hasn't used a tangential extractor before. Uncap each side of the frames going into the extractor and load it up. Then begin extracting at a slow speed. Extract a reasonable amount from the first half, maybe something like half of the honey in that first side. Then turn the frame around and extract the same amount from the inner side of the frame then continue to extract that same side at a greater and greater speed until as much of the honey is out of that side as possible. Then turn the frame around once more and extract the small amount that remains in the other face of the frame. The reason you need to do it like this is because you're very likely to cause the wax comb to collapse under its own weight if you keep extracting one side completely without turning it around. 
give it a try, experiment and see what happens and you'll soon understand what I mean. Those of you with radial extractors, don't go getting too smug because if you're not careful, the same fate awaits you too. Extract slowly to start with. Get the bulk of the honey out before upping the speed of the extractor to around warp speed 10. Just thinking back to our first honey crop, I can picture it as if it were yesterday. It never leaves you that very first extraction. Then you suddenly think, what on earth am I going to do with all this honey? At the time, it seemed like we had so much honey. It's a great problem to have, and your friends and family soon get to hear about it. On that point, I know a lot of you will be guilty of this. Don't go giving it all away. You'll have spent a small fortune on your hobby, and now you have an opportunity to maybe recoup some of the costs. Friends and family get a discount, of course. Be generous. Neighbours might warrant special attention too, particularly if they've been stung during the current season. Don't go annoying your neighbours with grumpy bees and then asking them to pay for honey. You may be able to sell a surplus of honey locally, but if you only have a small amount, I would stick to honey cake or sweet and smoky barbecue sauce. I have a recipe to share for that when I get time. If you find you have a significant surplus, you might be thinking of selling it through some local shops. Here, it pays to sell through a small number of shops and keep them stocked up all year round, rather than trying to expand and find you can only supply them for around six months of the year. They need a continuation of stock. Also, consider who else is selling local honey and how. It might be that you'll get a better price if you sell from your door, but you might not like the thought of having strangers coming to your front door, so a local shop might be best. Try not to upset your fellow beekeepers in the village by muscling in on their stockist. I supply some of our honey to farm shops where they welcome a choice for their customers and so stock maybe two or three different beekeepers' honey. I also supply some who only keep our honey. There are plenty of shops around that will take honey from you, so don't go looking to upset people by jumping in and undercutting the competition. There are also fates and village events that you may also be able to set up a stall to sell your surplus honey. Now we're talking serious money. Remember, it doesn't matter if you're selling through Harrods or giving the honey to your brother or sister. It still has to be bottled safely and labelled correctly. There's a lot of info out there on various trading standards websites specifically about labelling honey, so there's no reason why you shouldn't get it right. You're probably wondering if I've brought the borage honey home yet. Well, yes we have. It all happened in the latter part of last week, and it was a very exhausting couple of days, I have to say. I'm very grateful this year to have had some additional support in getting the clearer boards on and the very heavy supers off. In some cases, we even had full Langstroth brood boxes stacked full of honey to lift. Now, those really do get heavy when they're full. One of the colonies gave me a bit of a surprise, and it wasn't a particularly pleasant one either. I had a hive with a super and a brood box above the clearer board. You'll remember we use the rhombus clearer boards mostly. There's generally no need to use a smoker when you're lifting the supers off the clearer boards. Just remember, if it's heavy, you might want to prise the super away from the clearer board so you don't accidentally lift the entire box and clearer board 
off together. Oh, that reminds me, I had a lovely message from one of our patrons, Sue Oakley, and she sent in a great way to remove a few frames at a time if you only have one or two supers of honey to remove. Sue writes, Hi Stuart, I was just listening to your Wasps, Wasps, Wasps podcast, that was last week, and thought I would share my method. Shake the bees off the first frame, sweep off gently any stragglers, place the bee-free frame in a large brewing bucket and slap on the lid. Repeat one by one until all the frames are removed. The large buckets will take three frames each. Easy then to replace the crime board and roof without hurrying, then transport the buckets to the kitchen. Lighter than trying to carry an entire honey-heavy super and honey kept safe from robbers until you're ready to extract. Well, that's such a great idea. It's easy for me to forget that not everyone is going to want or be able to lift a heavy super of honey off the hive and carry it all the way back to the kitchen. Thanks so much for the message, Sue, and thank you for your lovely comments about my videos and podcasts. Back to my surprise at the apiary as we were removing boxes to bring back for extraction. So here's the setup from the bottom up. Floor, brood box, queen excluder, spare super to clear into, clear a board, brood box filled with honey, and a super filled with honey, crime board, and roof. So, a clear down overnight, and I'm anticipating as much as 30 kilos of honey to come off this one. The boxes were certainly heavy enough. Now, this hive was one of the last ones in the apiary. It had one of our own queens in it, not the friendliest, which also reminds me of the old beekeeper's notion that the angrier the hive, the more honey you get from it. Well, that's not my experience at all, but I do digress. I lift off the roof and coverboard from the hive. Not so many bees in the super, but there are quite a lot, more than I would have expected. The box feels nicely weighty. I set it aside and look down into the brood box. There's a heck of a lot more bees in there. They're going to need the leaf blower to get them out. I lift it off the clearer board and set it on its end and reach for the leaf blower, the petrol one this time. I started to blow the bees out and then noticed the reason so many bees were in this box. There was sealed brood in there. Damn it, the queen must have been up there and I've just blown the queen out of the hive and into a muddy field. Or have I? No, you have to appreciate all of this happened at a fair rate of knots and the next part of the tale happened even quicker than a blink of the eye. Bees everywhere and very unhappy ones at that. Well, you can imagine that they would be fairly unhappy, but these bees were out to get me. It was a little comedic, actually, certainly after the event. For a brief moment, I was frozen to the spot, trying to think fast, as they say, and work out what to do. Check the bottom box for eggs, I thought. Maybe the queen was still in the bottom box. Thank goodness that the smoker was on hand and ready. Here is where I can tell you, I told you so referring to always having your smoker lit and at the ready. A quick puff of the smoker across the brood box and away we go, straight into the middle of the brood box. No messing around working through the colony one frame at a time from the side. I need evidence of the queen and I need it fast. Luckily, the first frame confirmed that there were eggs in the box below, so I hastily shook the bees off and reinserted the frame. 
shaking the bees off was a great idea. Not. They went berserk. If you'd been watching me from afar, you would have seen me disappear in a cloud of smoke. It wasn't pretty. The bees from the brood box I'd used the leaf blower on were down my wellies now. The bees I'd shaken off seemed to be determined to block my vision by clinging to my veil, and the smell of sting pheromone was everywhere. If you haven't ever upset your bees in a kind of crazy frenzy, let's see how upset we can make them kind of way, you might not understand what I mean. Pear drops is the best way to describe the smell. Almonds, maybe? A nail varnish remover? Um, whatever you like to call it, it means trouble. More smoke, please. No eggs or young larvae in the top brood box, just sealed brood. That's all I needed to see. Everything was hastily put back together and I walked away with my ankles throbbing from multiple stings. We did manage to take the one super from them, so perhaps 12 to 15 kilos in that. It was a heavy one. It rather looks like I hadn't taken the time to go through the brood box before putting the clearer board on. Maybe there was a gap in the queen excluder somewhere. The wire excluders are great, but if you get a bit rough with them, your hive tool can sometimes bend the wire and make a gap big enough to allow the queen to slip through and, in this case, create havoc. It was the only fail of the day, so I'll go with that. The colony is now set to allow the rest of the sealed brood to emerge and, honestly, next week... I may well just remove the queen excluder and allow the queen to move freely through the double brood setup. I'm already thinking and planning for next season, and as a double brood, it will be easy enough to split this colony and create several nucleus colonies in the spring. It does feel like the end of the summer flow has arrived. Over at the fishing lakes, there are a few Rose Bay willow herb plants still flowering strongly along the river, we don't have any vast areas of Himalayan balsam, although there must be some, as we usually see our bees returning with a light-coloured stripe of pollen along their thorax in the latter part of the season. Himalayan balsam is now considered a weed, having been introduced in the early 1800s. It has seed pods that explode when ripe, and that's probably one of the reasons it spreads so far and wide. I can remember seeing it along riverbanks as a teenager when I used to go fishing, and you just can't help but touch the ripe seed pod to make it explode and scattering seed everywhere. Now it covers large areas and is actively cut back and removed, being seen as an invasive species. But areas still exist where it's rampant, and our bees do get a decent late crop from it where it grows in numbers. The season isn't quite over for us as we're making our move to the heather in a week or so, slightly delayed because of the weather, but it's now or never, I think. I'm really beyond my knowledge base with this crop, having never had an opportunity to take our bees to the heather moor. It wasn't until I visited a friend in Wales and saw a vast area of purple flowers on the hillside that I appreciated just what it was that everyone was talking about. I'm told that it's just starting to bud up and in places beginning to flower. The challenge, as I understand it, is that we need some settled dry and warm weather to allow the bees to fly and the heather to produce some decent nectar. We plan to put two supers on our strongest colonies and one on the not-so-strong colonies. 
it feels like a bit of a gamble. But then isn't that beekeeping in any season? The weather dominates our thoughts as each season passes and we try to keep our bees healthy and strong so that they can take advantage of any nectar flow as it happens. Finally this week, and I hope you won't mind, a brief message for my daughter Beth and her husband Paul listening over in the USA. So long and thanks for all the fish! Well that's it for this week. Don't forget to check out my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk and for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques it's the same Patreon page www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet. <laughs>